Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Strong and stable podcasts. Strike up the band. Right, it's absolute arrogance. Let's Sorry. be fair to Ed Miliband. To be fair to Ed Miliband. Miliband. This is your new catchphrase. Can I try to be genuinely fat? To <laughs> <laughs> uh, here we are again then. Welcome along. Episode 7 of How to Win an Election. I'm Matt Chorley, joined by our podcast pundits, uh, Peter Madison, Polly McKenzie and Daniel Finkelstein. Get in touch Get in touch if you want to. Uh, you can email us howtowin at thetimes.co.uk. Howtowin at thetimes.co.uk. People have been getting in touch, mainly some with questions, but we've had another we've had another version of the theme tune sent in. Oh, groan. Some, so, we love it when people get in touch. <clears throat> um, so, this is uh, a group of people. Now, you should remember they're raising money for charity, for a children's hospice in Oxford. This is outside Whitney... Uh, no, in, oh, outside Waitrose in Whitney. Um, so uh, they raised a lot of money, apparently, for the Helen and Douglas House, uh, a children's hospital in Oxford. This is Cuth, Patrick, Dave, Andrew and Richard. I'm very, very sorry I said groan. I think it's great and I want to make a personal contribution. Well, there we are. Yeah, well, so, let's do uh, that. Can we'll I ask you yes. about this strike up the band thing, which yes. you'll start every program? <clears throat> Did that occur to you before you got a band to play? Or was it when, a spontaneous response? And It was a spontaneous that, response. And then you did it the first week and you thought it was so successful, did you, yes, that you exactly. were going to repeat it every yeah, week? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I think we, we spent enough we spent enough on the, the package to have four instruments, so I think that's a band. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you to Cuth, Patrick, Dave, Andrew and Richard, and well done for raising lots of money. And if you want to send in your version, how to win at the times.co.uk. How to win at the times.co.uk. And if you were in uh, Waitrose uh, in Whitney, sorry. Um, <laughs> now, we've had, a, we've had another email from Martin McLeish in London, uh, which is going to sort of set the tone for today's uh, episode. How, his question is, how much money are political parties allowed to spend during their election campaign, which got us thinking about money. The answer is the government is uh, looking at increasing the amount that parties can spend to about £35 million, up from just under £19 million at the 2019 election. Uh, although the amount you can spend still depends on how many constituencies you're standing in. So that's the sort of the top-line thing. But it got us thinking about money, how you spend it, how you raise it, how important it is to win an election. 
Um, we had some pretty striking figures uh, the other day. The Tories are on track to raise £50 million this year. Um, Danny, who on earth is giving £50 million to the Tory party pe- right pe- now? People who don't want a Labour government. I mean, that's as simple as that. That's how the Conservatives raise m- money. Uh, people who think if the Labour party gets in, they're going to tax uh capital gains or they're going to tax forms of business investment for small businesses and that's where the Conservative Party gets its money from so um, oddly the, the sort of nearer more imminent a Labour government is the more the Conservative I mean obviously part is because the election's coming and people want to contribute to the election campaign but the more money uh, you will you'll raise and there's also almost certainly going to going to be a shift uh, to raise more money for for Rishi Sunak over Boris Johnson um, because of uh, political differences between them and their attitudes to business. I, th- I, su- I suspect that's the case anyway. That is a guess. But, it, but, but the Tories are going to raise, th- uh, raise three times as much as Labour in the last quarter. Is it just totally out of self-interest, though, a few rich people saying, I want to try and bolster the no, Tories? Because an independent bystander might look at what's currently going on with the Tory government and think, why on earth would you give well, them a penny? This is... This, this, there's one of the most important things to understand about uh, political attitudes is that everyone thinks their self-interest is in the public interest. It's a <laughs> very, very important thing. So, for example, you know, when the nurses go on strike, uh, obviously it's a strike over their own pay, but all the arguments will be about this is about patient safety and about uh, you know nurses not being tired and nurses being remunerated for the public good and and without getting into the argument over whether that's right or wrong, that's what that's people what feel. Saying, so yeah. business people will certainly feel that an entrepreneurial climate that encourages them uh, will encourage uh, other people and will be good for the economy. So that people are not able to distinguish in that way between their own interests and the country's. Yeah, I mean, Dan is being very generous to these people. I mean, <laughs> basically, I mean, as you said, Danny, people act out of self-interest. I mean, they want to keep more money of their own in their own pockets and wallets and they think a Labour government would be more redistributive, would be fairer for the country as a whole. But the flip side of that is that high-value donors, rich people who do give money to the Labour Party are doing so because of their values. I mean, they're doing so because they believe in what the Labour Party stands for, what the Labour Party would do for and with uh, the country. And I think that's sometimes often forgotten. I mean, people think, well, they're only in, in it for themselves, they're only giving money because they can get something back. I think in mo- mo- most cases, most of the high-value donors yeah. I know in the Labour Party are people who are genuinely sort of philanthropically inclined. Many of them have educational, environmental, social mobility programmes. They use their money, they want to leave some sort of legacy they're thinking about the future. And giving money to the Labour Party is part of yeah, that. They, 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 well, just to give an example, uh, highly educated people who earn a lot of money might think the Labour Party would be good for highly educated people. Uh, so uh, uh, what I'm saying is this attempt to distinguish... Uh, th- just to be clear, people who are uh, who believe in cutting taxes, um, you might say, well, that'll put more money in their pockets. That's true, but it's also true that they, and in fact, I actually agree with them, uh, think that if you dry, you know, encourage entrepreneurship and more people make more money, uh, I mean, t- which is something I'm entirely relaxed about, Peter. Um, we'll, uh, <laughs> as long as you know, they pay their taxes. <laughs> as long as they pay their taxes. Um, you know, if they do that, then the country will benefit from it. So it's different ways of, of looking at it. But, I, you know, there's a temptation to say that if, if I give you a pound, uh, that is... Um, Philanthropy, but if you give me a pound, it's theft. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't. I think the Conservative Party 
believes that creating a more entrepreneurial climate is in the national interest. That's just important to understand, even if you disagree with that notion. Polly, have you been tempted when you've seen what's going on in the Tory party with the infighting and the resignations and the state of the economy and public service, have you been tempted to give them any money? I did once give £5 to the Conservative Association at my university in return for a muffin. Um, What? A muffin? That's a lot. Yeah. I'd want a whole cake for that. (laughs) It was. I was caught at a weak moment and it was so that somebody's boyfriend could... It was... Anyway, it's one of my profound regrets, obviously. (laughs) Um, The the funny thing about all of this... There was a lot going on with the sentence so that somebody's boyfriend that we didn't get to the end of. It's a long... It's it's a a longer story. But it was a good muffin. Um, So... We all get the opportunity to think about this when we vote, right? Should you be voting in your own interests or should be voting for the interests of the country? And, you know, we all of us make a balance of that. What Peter and Danny are talking about is the fact that rich people get to do that basically times millions and millions of pounds because the amount of money we allow to be spent in our politics means that, to a very large extent, you're talking about a a battle of marketing budgets instead of a battle of ideas. And... There actually is another way. It's very easy to get uh, lost in this idea that it's just completely normal for people to have spare millions of pounds that they want to give to political parties. You could constrain the amount of money that we spend on our elections. If one party is spending £35 million, it'd be nice if the other party was able to spend £35 million, but it doesn't work that way. And of course, you then end up with lots of smaller parties who either have a billionaire or multimillionaire on their side or else that they don't and they're never able to compete in terms of the literature in terms of the uh, digital spend you know there are multiple ways to do this you can just massively cap the amount of money that parties are allowed to spend or you can have state funding for political parties people don't tend to like that because they uh, don't like the idea of their taxes which ought to be paying for i don't know incubators or roads or something going to fund political parties which people don't tend to like but, but the we do, alternative but we do have, we do is, have some already, you know, in, the, in terms of short money. There is yeah. taxpayers' money which goes to the opposition to prepare them for... But in 2006, in the sort of Blair twilight year, um, he asked Sir Hayden Phillips, an eminent civil servant, to head up a committee to look at state funding uh, for political parties. I mean, beyond the mm. short money, beyond the money that's given for opposition. And they actually got very far in uh, capping... Uh, additional transparency, um, state funding, as I've said. And Cameron was nearly over the line. He had one qualification, which was that in the longer term, the trade unions needed to, you know, look at how much they were giving and they needed some cap, further cap on that. But he couldn't get Gordon Brown over the line. Uh, Gordon, possibly because, you know, it was Tony's idea or and or because he was looking to the trade unions and playing to that particular gallery. Um, he blocked it, I mean, insanely, because when it came to fighting the election in 2010, of course, he could have done with that state money. He really needed a, another bob or two to fight that election because he so couldn't I, raise money of his own. I'm, I'm against it for, like, two reasons. One, for the... I just don't want to personally be compelled to to donate to Richard Tyson and Nigel Farage um, but but I, but I also think if we're arguing that people give money to political parties that they hope to kind of influence the political parties in their direction by donating why do we think the state will be any different to that very quickly you will have an argument over whether or not the public ought to be 
allowed or forced to fund certain types of speech. Um, it, it won't take long before people will say, well, that leaflet by the Liberal Democrats that argued it was a two-horse race was a lie. People shouldn't be able to lie in leaflets, therefore they shouldn't do this. This advert about Tony Blair with the devil eyes was, you know, an insult to Christianity and it shouldn't be allowed. Satanic. Um, uh, satanic. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, that joke, that was an argument. And by the way, you know, the, the, the Advertising Standards Authority uh, did stop that advert running, or at least it would have done if anyone wanted to run it again. It would have stopped them. So... I, I'm, I think it's not a very good idea. As it happens, I'm a bit dubious about the whole impact that all these donations make. And I, you know, if I were looking at the most um, economical way of spending a lot of money, it certainly wouldn't be a donation to a political party. I don't actually think, in fact, it alters the election results all that much. But um, but Peter and Polly may, may disagree. And then, Polly, being uh, involved in the, the third party, as the Lib Dems then were, and then later the Women's Equality Party, you know, if they are going to put up the spending limits, the only two parties who are going to be able to hit those are probably Labour and the Tories, which just actually creates an even bigger gulf between the two main parties and all of the other smaller parties. Uh, massively. I mean, that that's why the, the two main parties, they want more than anything to protect their kind of two-party hegemony. Uh, the ability for them to essentially pass power between one and another. Of course, they prefer when they're in power themselves. But at least uh, the simplicity of the pendulum is is better than the kind of the complexity of, you know, 15 different political parties and kind of plurality of opinion and voices. And, and so therefore that high spending limit absolutely reinforces a two-party system. Um, I think it's I think it's just unbelievably harmful. Well, in a minute, I want to ask you about when you've been involved in trying to to fundraise, and then when you've uh, been in charge of spending money and ways of spending money in a clever or not so clever way. To be fair to Ed Miliband, we might mention the Edstone. We're going to do that next on how to win an election. is How to Win an Election with me, Matt Jolly, joined by our political masterminds, Peter Madison, Polly McKenzie and Daniel Finkelstein. We're talking about money today, election war chests, how you raise one and then what do you uh, spend it on. Let's talk balls. Uh, Danny, the Tory party have big balls. Yes, <laughs> I've only been <laughs> once. Uh, uh, there was an extraordinary auction that took place in that and a book of Norma Majors on checkers, I think, went for a million pounds. <laughs> and then a Rolls Royce went for only £45,000. And I worked out the reason was if you had enough money to sort of spend a million pounds, why would you want someone second-hand Rolls Royce Royce? So that, that went for less money. But it, they... The, the rules were different at that point because this was under the major, uh, the major government and um, they could raise money from, you know, I think correctly you can't raise money from overseas uh, now and um, the donation um, transparency rules are greater so you couldn't do, raise money in the same way. Although they still have this, it used to be the black and white board, I think it's all the winter ball. Uh, last year it was £2,000 a seat and a dinner with Boris Johnson, Theresa May and David Cameron was auctioned for £120,000. 
Yes. Think I'd probably pay that to, to not... Not go to the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I didn't know this, Polly, but the Lib Dems have balls. Well, back in the day, the mm. Lib Dems had a ball. Um, a few years in a row, and then I think it got cancelled because it didn't really make much money. So, I mean, <laughs> 2,000 £2, pounds a plate. That's a like, metaphor, that, though. That's a lot. It, How much I, would you pay for a Lib Dem ball? From what I can recall, it was more like £100, you know, uh, and then an auction... Uh, just like the Conservatives, but, you know, auctioning dinner with Tim Farron is... <laughs> it just, it goes for less money. Um, and, and partly, of course, you haven't quite got the same calibre of, of people there. Now, I'm, I'm slightly nervous. This is another story of my own petty ruthlessness, but <laughs> I actually... I met Nick Clegg at the Liberal Democrat Ball. I was... I was very lucky to be seated on, on his table. Wow. And so I snuck in and I moved the name tags around so Thank that you. I could sit next to him. And then I had an argument with him about the constitutional propriety of uh, mayoral systems. Uh, and, you know... <laughs> and you say they cancelled this history. event. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's amazing. What an amazing, entertaining event that sounds. Uh, but I wish I just, I'd been there. Can I just uh, point out that one of the things about buying a for a million pounds or donating to the Conservative Party or to the Liberal Democrats is it is a form of free expression. So and if you, and unless you're saying you literally are not allowed to donate money to political causes, and what will happen if we have state funding of political parties and total caps on how much individuals can give is people will give money to their causes, but they won't give them to political parties. And we will strengthen all sorts of non-party political organisations. That... Everyone can decide whether they think that's a good idea or not. And actually, but there's been a huge change. growth in that. The Electoral Commission have said that the number of... Because sort of third-party groups who now have to register with them, you know, charities and ca individual that campaign is, groups, has massively grown. But that's because we passed a law saying that those third-party groups had to mm. register. So that, that kind of changed the context. But So one of the ways you can do state funding is actually to empower the voters. You can do it so that people get to check mm. a box on their ballot paper saying that they would also like to donate N pounds, two pounds, five pounds, whatever, to either the political party that they're voting for or, or a different one, should they choose. So it, it, the idea that free expression is important, I completely agree with. But, you know, should people with millions and millions of pounds to spare get millions and millions of pounds more free expression than the ordinary common <laughs> voter? I don't think so. Talking of people with millions and millions of pounds, Peter, um, mm. have you ever been to a Labour ball? I've never been to a Labour ball, uh, but there's a very sort of, sort of difficult sort of practice now building up in the Labour Party in which Labour Party candidates are, offer, are offering tea with Peter Mandelson in exchange for vast sums of money. How much are we talking? Well, look... More or less than dinner with Tim Farron. I mean, I, I'm, edging, I'm edging ahead of Tim Farron uh, <laughs> at the moment. Um, and I'm now, I'm getting slightly worried about this because, I mean, one tea a week is sort of okay, but two is, you know, excessive. Um, but they're, they're very popular and people are offering <laughs> lots of money. How much are we talking about? No, 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 discretion doesn't permit me to. But, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about thousands of pounds thousands people of pounds. are giving. And what do we get? Is it, is it, is it full afternoon yeah. tea or just a... Some people come and say, I don't really want the tea because, <laughs> you know, I don't like sandwiches and cake. I mean, I just want to talk to you about housing policy or whatever. And people are very serious about it. And they, well, they're sort of queuing up. But what kind of people don't like sandwiches and cake? Well, I mean, I don't who, think they should have People whose personal trainers keep them maybe, under a yeah, strict maybe regime. Maybe you want to ban that too, Polly. <laughs> <laughs> So, Everyone, uh, mandatory tea, I, I, mandatory cake, I, mandatory sandwiches. 
I, you know, I was pretty startled when I was involved in uh, setting up a, an organisation publishing political ideas that wasn't a charity, uh, that we had to register this organisation and uh, discuss it with various regulatory authorities and assure them that we were going to follow various rules. Um, and I think we ought to be a bit careful about how far we go uh, with with that uh, regime. And it's true, of course, that people can, can buy more... Um, raffle tickets if they've got a million pounds they can also buy more yogurt we, and we haven't we're not reg, we're not every registered ep- every week <laughs> we end up back on yogurt <laughs> we're not registered we, we're not uh, in my view going to organize society in which everybody has the same amount of money because it's just impossible to do that and it, and the sort of society we live in we, we wouldn't want to live so i just in, there is a trade-off between the fairness and regulation and I, I, I totally agree that the rules about transparency have been a good thing though they do make it life quite hard I think for people who then decide they are going to donate political parties but I think it's necessary that trade-off is worth having but I you know but I'm very worried about going a huge uh, long length further and what about your interactions with donors because obviously you know, the ideal way is that the the person just agrees with the current policy platform of the party and that's why they're giving the money. But obviously some donors might want something in return. They want a change in policy. They want to talk about housing policy. How how have you interacted with donors? I was head of policy of the Conservative Party and I honestly, and I, I tried saying this in an article, I got a terrible response from Times readers who just simply didn't believe me, but I... Honestly, I, if you donate in order to influence that process, you are literally wasting your money. I, the, the idea that the, the political party is going to say, we're going to change our policy on Estonia because somebody's donated £5,000 to pay for leaflets, I, I just really think is... I can offer you an example from 1997 when an organisation, it was a fund for to do with the welfare of animals, got pretty transactional with us. It was the first and last time I can remember this, and they wanted a ban on hunting in return for a very sizable amount of money. <clears throat> and Blair and co were sort of reluctant, obviously, you know, to enter into some sort of trade uh, over this po- uh, policy. However, there were a lot of people in the party who wanted that ban and a lot of MPs were, were coming and demanding it. And we got into a difficult situation uh, where, frankly, we went a little bit too far, further than Blair wanted in making this commitment in our manifesto. Uh, and it was, frankly, under, not duress, but under some sort of pressure. It wasn't attractive and it's not been repeated. But then shortly after that, when you got in, the first big scandal to hit you was Bernie Eccleston. It was Eccleston, yes. And that was, you know, the question of whether or not there was any connection between yeah. his donation and Formula One being excluded from yeah. uh, a I ban mean, this was a rod for our own backs that we created. I mean, you see, we, we wanted to move more to high-value donors, you know, uh, we, there was a limit to how much money we could get from party members, obviously. We wanted to reduce our dependency on trade union funding. This is in the 1990s. And the only place we could go was, therefore, to high-value donors. I mean, well-off uh, people. Um, and Bernie Eccleston had been a huge uh, contributor to the Conservative Party. In- indeed, there had even been talk of a knighthood. Uh, you know, floating around in return for the money he gave to the Conservative Party. But he wanted to switch to Labour. You know, we had a winning strategy. We were very attractive. Blair, you know, was somebody he felt he could believe in and he thought that he was going to lead the country in the right direction. 
He did not know then, and of course nor did we, that the European Union was subsequently going to propose a ban on tobacco advertising at Formula One. Um, but because of the transparency rules that we introduced as the government, all this became known, Eccleston's name sort of as it were up in lights, just as the Euro European Union was proposing this change in policy and we had to consider, and the officials said, well, look, we think... Britain should support a phasing in, not an immediate ban, but a phasing in. That, of course, immediately looked to some as if the phasing in was a result of money, etc., etc., etc. And it all got extremely uh, messy and difficult. And in the end, we gave Eccleston's money back to him, not because he had done anything wrong, by the way, whatsoever, but because the appearances required us uh, to to regularise this. And so we gave the money back. And that was when. Tony Blair said, I'm a pretty straight kind of guy. And that sort of hung around him then for the next 10 years. Uh, well, he was a pretty straight sort of guy, and he remained so. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about ways of spending this money. Once you've built your war chest, what's the best way? It sounds to me, Daddy, like you think there's no point in having all this money. No, I, I, no, no, no point is too strong, because obviously <laughs> no point is too strong. And, and, I think, and I think it'll get a weaker argument. One of, one of the things that's going to happen is targeting... Uh, advertising on the internet will be will be like direct mail is much more effective. So I, I do think that sometimes the controversy sustained by getting some money has been actually more damaging than the good the money does. But I, I will give you an example as I was challenged to the worst spending that we did. The Labour Party had got a big database called Excalibur and you put in all your press cuttings and basically got into, into a database uh, and it was going to cost us a million pounds and I remember that the party made quite an effort to raise from various people a million pounds uh, to pay for this um, machinery and I engaged with the donors one of the very few times to tell them how useful it would be to have this machine. Anyway, we got it. And what it was, was it supposed to do? In, well, there's a very good question which still remains unanswered. We, it, it, as far as I can see, it was a big electronic dustbin that required three people, three members of staff, to be feeding pieces of paper into this. We had our own. Yes, in it was, the we copied yours. The same uh, name. We had it, and it, its reputation was became the sort of stuff of a great myth. You know of the. King Arthur's legend. It was very appropriately named. And this myth was that, you know, we had this extraordinarily powerful computer. In fact, it was, as Danny has said, a giant sort of dustbin in which we fed endless <laughs> so hang on, you Conservative Party. And then you briefed that it was brilliant so that they then That's did exactly the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We spent £2 million pounds <laughs> on entirely useless it's like, matching technology. It's like the advertisements that we uh, did uh, about. Uh, John Major. And we made a great fuss and bother about saying, no, it wouldn't be appropriate to personalise these attacks on uh, John Major. We're therefore not going to use these advertisements. So they're too personal. Tony Blair's <laughs> personally decided that it really would be below us. And unseemly, you know, to have these advertisements, you know, which featured and mocked uh, uh, John Major. And of course, we never had any intention of releasing <laughs> and using these advertisements, but the moment it became known that we were not going to use them, Everybody they somehow them. seeped into the media. <laughs> I do not know how, of course, to this day. It's extraordinary how you gained your reputation, Mr. Peter. They appeared. They were all over the press, and of course we didn't have to spend a, literally a penny on it's them. It's still a mystery as to why you're known as the Prince of Darkness. I, I really, I've never understood it. Polly, I remember, I can't remember if it was 2010 or 2015, the Lib Dems brief, they'd got an app that was going to transform the way that... Which, when you were knocking on doors, you sort of filled in an app or did some some sort of... 
computer-based... Well, I mean, the Lib Dems have to mobilise volunteers mm. often because they, they don't have much money. So Danny's talking about direct mail being better than just kind of blanket leafleting. But if you can't afford direct mail, the only thing you've got is direct leafleting because then you, you've, you just sort of get nice uh, old Instead of paying the Royal Mail, you get some you volunteers. You get some volunteers yeah. to deliver the things. Um, it, it is much less effective. Uh, and, and so, uh, but the Lib Dems also do a lot of door-to-door canvassing and the idea of canvassing is not really to persuade people, it's to collect data about who your voters are. And, and, Certainly, I've done loads of canvassing, which is just yeah. you know a clipboard and a piece of paper, but that really slows you down. Well, this, this mass digital advertising mm. is a huge growth industry uh, in politics. I mean, I think Liberal Democrats were on the receiving end of a lot of very effective yeah. Facebook advertising in 2015. In particular, yeah. Uh, in 2016, we now know that the Leave campaign concentrated a colossal amount of spend in the final days of the referendum. Money, incidentally, that. Uh, was obtained, we now know, we didn't know then, uh, from a lot of it from Russian uh, uh, sources. And that definitely helps sway the referendum. 2019 is another example, I think, of very effective digital advertising spend on on, on Facebook by the Conservative Party. I had somebody who who always voted Labour and who in 2015 in the end ended up voting Conservative. And she said to me, I've, I was saying to my husband the whole time, uh, Labour's going, my, prop, my fear is Labour will wreck the economy. And on election day, I opened my um, browser and I had a, a big advert on it with a wrecking ball. And yeah. it spoke to me completely, and I voted Conservative. Yeah. And um, and so, therefore, the targeting was sufficiently good. They sort of got into the head. Mm. So I do. I so my my suggestion that money um, hasn't mattered it, it is yeah. a little bit conditioned by the fact that I think the the ability to spend money. If you because if you were to ask me what was the most effective thing we spent money on, without any question, it was focus groups. It, uh, without any question, the the Tory Party went through a period where it where honestly people were turning up after the ninety seven election were turning up in reception trying to get paid because the, the Conservative Party was literally bust, which I felt very strongly because I was a director of the Conservative Party. So I was liable for it. And, <laughs> and people would come in, and, the, and there was a guy called Nick on the door, and he had to go and sort of get rid of these people. So the Conservative Party went through a period where it really had no money, and it couldn't pay for polling. It overcame that a moment because that was the sort of height where nobody could see Blair leaving for years and nobody opposed um, Blair really so there, there was no money for anything but then that began to change and the first thing that I really wanted them to spend money on and that and that we did spend money on and it was you know it made a big difference was simply polling because you find out an awful lot I mean you know, my view is that 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 by failing properly to poll Polly may disagree with this but by failing properly to poll tuition fees that was one of the reasons why Nick Clegg got himself into quite as much trouble as he did just because I don't think he could have realized quite the strength of feeling which maybe more sophisticated polling would have done but that may be unfair or wrong I mean I I think the reality is that decisions during that period of government weren't made on the basis of any polling or any focus groups I mean Liberal Democrats had lost short money um that that sort of small slice of, of state funding. The the party was absolutely slashed in terms of the number of staff it had. And, you know, it, we weren't any good at politics. Mm. I think we made um, <laughs> we made a, a good policy choice, as, you know, I've said before, I'll probably no, say, no, like, no. every week, blah, blah, blah. But, um, but, 
But it's not about an absence of focus groups. It's an absence of thinking about the politics. Mm. The choice was to focus yeah. on the policy and hope that sort of everything would turn out OK. Yeah, yeah. Let's be careful about the polling and the focus groups. I mean, it can lead you into bad ways in politics. It can lead you away from what is... Uh, unpopular, but which is actually right. And what, you know, you take tuition fees, the public, you know, they wouldn't want to see, wouldn't want to say they want to spend more on their kids' university education, but when properly explained and when they see what the alternative is, they will at the end of the day come round to saying, well, actually, this is a necessary and good thing uh, to do. That should be guided by you know, good policy, not by good marketing. You know, you need to know what, how people react to things because sometimes you find they don't know what tuition fees mean. So you, you just find all sorts of things <laughs> well, you don't I, know. I feel like there's a whole episode for us to do on the value of polling and focus groups and uh, when they're good and bad. Uh, let's just give an example of uh, spending. Um, uh, when we said we were going to talk about spending and bad uh, things we've spent money on, this was your your pick, uh, Peter, of an example of what not to spend your war chest on. These six pledges are now carved in stone. They're carved in stone because they won't be abandoned after the general election. Now, to Look, be fair to Ed Miliband, just to be fair to Ed Miliband, just for one moment, when he was on the way... No, come on, let's be fair. Fair dudes. When he was on the way to Hastings to yes. unveil yes. the Ed Stone and he'd, he saw a picture of this yes. sort of vast, great sort of stone object, his little antennae started twitching, thinking, is this such a brilliant idea? Mm. And by the way, if you want to read the funniest account that exists of, uh, uh, of the Ed Stone, you must by uh, trains, planes and toilet doors by well, Matt Chorley. It is, the, it is the funniest book about <laughs> politics uh, and I, I'm actually going to buy half a dozen copies to give to for Christmas presents well, hoping, hoping for an author's discount. Well, you could get an author's signature. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, right, in a minute we're going to do your, uh, your questions that you've emailed in. Uh, email howtowin at thetimes.co.uk. Right, uh, enough questions from me. Uh, some questions that have been sent in by listeners. In fact, David's been in touch saying, I'd enjoyed dinner with Tim Farron. So there we are. Uh, I once accidentally left the restaurant without paying after dinner with Alistair Carmichael. It's the sort of content we're here for. Um, uh, now, uh, in terms of the quick question of the week, uh, Robin's been in touch saying, uh, Dear Danny, Polly and Peter, in my opinion, the election will not be in October as it's too close to the American presidential election in November 2024. Therefore, I think the election will be in May 2024 on the same day as the local elections. And I just wondered, because we had this conversation when we first started doing this, I wondered if everything that's been going on this week with Rishi Sunak and trying to get the Rwanda bill through, has that changed any of your calculations about when you think the election might be? Not mine. I think they should go in May, but they will go in October. I, I've heard this American election argument used before. I, I don't think it'll influence them, really. Most people's attention to the American elections will be very minor actually um, you know not in the political sphere obviously I think it's probably the most important election this year I read in the newspaper that Tory party strategists want at least two further fiscal events as they call them uh, giveaways in other words I, um, before the election takes place and that would point to October but I just re remember what Danny said about this originally you know careful what you wish for 
you know, you delay the election and instead of things turning up, they turn further downwards and, you know, something ghastly happens and you're running down the clock and you're just battered from pillar to post by the media. You're left with no alternative as to when you finally call an election and you wish you'd gone earlier. Polly? Yeah, but, you know, it's the Prime Minister's decision and he gets to be the Prime Minister. And, you know, 2022 to 2025 sounds better than 2022 to 2024 on your Wikipedia entry for the rest (laughs) of your life. So I I just, I think he will run out the clock. Uh, Last question. James says, can you use your influence with Sir Ed Davey, I think that's my influence, he claims, to get Polly on the Lib Dem peerage list for the new year? Then in time for Epiphany, we could have three (laughs) magi... Magi of equal standing? Is that where you'd be? The three of you? We all, well, all... we have two barons. Uh, I don't know if I'd be a baroness. I sort of, I'd rather be a duchess or a countess, but I think they're <laughs> the not really... countess would be good. Yeah, they're not giving those out anymore. I mean, there's, the main problem is that the Liberal Democrats probably won't offer any peerages for the next decade because they slightly uh, have... Uh, they got a lot out of the coalition period. The uh, other small problem is that I'm not actually a member of the party, and that might be a deal-breaker for them. You be a bishop. Yeah. I mean, you know... But then she won't be a working peer. And the point about creating peers, if from a political party, is that you've got Scots could be, you know, good stuff, good background, committed to public service and actually going to turn up and vote and speak. And you're too busy working. I'm too busy working. How to win at thetimes.co.uk if you want to send in your questions to uh, Daniel Finkstein, Polly McKenzie, Peter Madison and me, Matt Jolly. This was How to Win an Election. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.